It's seven o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is? She went away for the holidays. Says she's going to LA. But she never got that. She never got that. She never got that. Why? <laughs> uh, there was a lot of conversations about teachable moments yesterday going on. It felt really weird. But Before uh, or after the movie or both? A little bit of both, but mostly on the way home. And uh, Amanda and I were talking about that. And then we, we were driving through campus through mm-hmm. like our old neighborhoods and shit and yeah. to get home yeah. a little further away from campus as you get older hopefully <laughs> right and you know about two blocks away because you're going up a hill or an incline at this point uh as we, you do in ohio <laughs> yeah <just laughs> inevitably they're hills or incline <laughs> yeah it's all an incline so two blocks away speaking of cops yeah uh, we saw the cops had somebody pulled over, as you will see all over fucking campus on a Saturday night, because yep. class is getting ready to get started. The kids that buckled down and took summer classes are fucking letting their hair down. So yeah, we saw a cop had somebody pulled over, so the lane was blocked. Mm-hmm. And as people do, they try to still rush by on your right side and then push their way into the lane. 
even though everybody fucking sees the cop, everybody fucking mm-hmm. sees the lane is closed. Right. And this car next to us was just kept edging closer, edging closer, edging closer. And I stuck my head out the window and they stopped. And the guy was like, dude, what the hell, man? And, you know, you 10 years ago, I would have said, like, eat a dick or something mm-hmm. like that. But I just said, wait your turn. <laughs> <laughs> And he told me to go fuck myself, and then the the night continued, and we went home and got high and watched Young Frankenstein to wind down. But I was just thinking I about I love you, that. Darren, but you're officially an old man. Okay. <laughs> I am Captain Courtesy, and I strike, or I stop the streets at night. The funny <laughs> thing is, even when I was younger, I had no patience for people my age. <laughs> I was just, I was like too old for them. In a way, in a way, and maybe it's because I'm an only child and I was raised around a lot of adults, but I had no patience for that kind of just bullshit, even though there were at times where I definitely wanted to, you know, lash out. But it's also sometimes like, no, I'm going to pick and choose my battles and that it's not worth it. You know, if I've got that kind of rage inside me, I'm going to focus it better. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we are all power to all people. Fucking right on. But I couldn't. Th- I, you were. I think you and I first casually said we're gonna do a show on this back in May. Or we were at least both talking about like I really want to see this movie. It's gonna be. You know, I have like all these different thoughts about this situation. Yeah, this movie. I know I have brought up. Well, okay. I I pointed out to you that. Um, and not all of my other times I've been here, but there have been a couple other times where I've brought up very specifically, strongly, like, where race has been a central issue of a movie. And I've brought a movie to the table. Like, with the Central Park Five, that's what I brought to you first. And, of course, race was a main major issue with that. But then we talked Green Room. Yeah. So we were talking neo-Nazis and skinheads then. And I know I've brought up at different points either... On this show, multiple times, I, I'm probably, or even on VD Clinic when we're together. I, I know I've brought it up at one point or another that I have a little history with the Klan, un- unfortunately. just not. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but what I mean is that where I grew up <laughs> has yeah. a history with the Klan. Let's put it that way. You are... I have encountered them, but I... Yeah. <laughs> They're in your history. They're on the opposite side of me. Let me point that out. <laughs> As a white person, they've even been, yeah, against me. So, like, to be in the trenches and just see some of the shit. That's, you know, I've brought that up before. So I did want to, I, I, I guess I had some of that in mind. But there, you know how I am with my uh, radical black politics. Anyway, <laughs> in this whole era, which I don't know how you want to go do you want to just give like a brief overview of the movie or even talk about what the name of the movie is i don't even think we mentioned that well hopefully if you're listening to this you've read the title we haven't we almost have a couple times we are here to talk about the 2018 movie premiered off of the presses yeah Uh, this is the youngest movie we've ever covered on this show and i'm gonna try to get this turned around really quick but since by the time, well, I don't know when you're hearing this, but from the time of releasing this, the movie will only be one or two weeks old. We're going to try to do it a little different and save the major spoiler shit for later after you've listened to still a top-notch episode. Yeah, and this came out, what, Friday the 10th? 
Friday, August 10th, 2018, The Black Klansman, a biographical crime film co-written and directed by Spike Lee. Co-produced by uh, Jordan Peele. Yes, of course. I want to yes. point that out. Spike Lee and Jordan Peele, based on the 2014 memoir just called Black Klansman without the extra K, uh, by Ron Stallworth. And man, you know, John David Washington plays Stal- uh, Stallworth. Adam Driver, <laughs> I will get into it. Laura Harrier and Topher Grace as David Duke. This is the movie. Oh that... my goodness. Oh my goodness. It is uncanny. How much Topher Grace looks like David Duke in this? Yes, like, he is uncanny. Like if you see a young Duke, oh my goodness! The, I, I, they had a picture, a side by side picture, in an article I read. Uh, I one, one talking about when he was so bummed out that that's when he did that Hobbit supercut to like cheer himself up, <laughs> getting into the character of David Duke. And he, he looks so fucking much like him. And you can probably expound on this because I'm sure he oh. did some speeches near you at well, some point. He he ran for office. Okay. So as I love to do, I will start thinking about things. And I'm like, hmm, I want to know a little bit more about that. And sometimes when that happens, I end up going down rabbit holes. Well, so... There were some bits and bobs and things, whatever, that I knew about the clan already and its history, partly from just different reading and, and seeing documentaries over the years, seeing new stuff. Um, there was a lynching where I grew up, and actually it's the last documented lynching in this country that happened in 1988. I mean, sorry, 1981 in Mobile, Alabama. I was eight. I remember this whole thing going on in the news. Like, that's why I'm saying I have a little history with the Klan. Um, They're very embedded in my memory because we were a family that was very big on watching the news. So, you know, as little bitty, nightly news, get my dinner, and there's Walter Cronkite right there, and then (laughs) whatever, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because that's the way it is. So I already had been watching the news so much at this point, and then, and somewhat, you know, in your kid brain, I mean, my parents, they didn't tell me about everything in the world, but I wasn't naive either. And my parents, we moved to Alabama when I was four, and granted, when I was in California, the predominant racial minority you saw was latino hispanic and um in alabama it's you know black uh there were members of my family unfortunately who espoused racist beliefs i think unfortunately a lot of us most of us maybe can say that as fucked up as it is even if our parents didn't raise us to be that way you know <laughs> everybody's got that that uncle everybody's or something like that everybody's got some like racist that. uncle that gets drunk at thanksgiving at least that and you know start you know because i'm an american i'm an american does that mean anything anymore hold it down huh now you hold it down how about please hold it down how about please hold this at least one of those there's at least one in every family unfortunately um you hope that's not in every family but i hear it too often and we're gonna get I, <laughs> we're gonna get counter protesters with the hashtag not all uncles now <laughs> yeah not all drunk uncles at thanksgiving <laughs> not all drunk uncles i want that one I want that. <laughs> it's like 
John Oliver comes up because his awesome hashtag. So there we go. Sorry. Any sorry. Anyway, and unfortunately, like like I said, I mean you you still saw the remnants and Mobile, where I grew up, was a uh, the second largest city in Alabama. It was about 200,000 people. So mid-sized city. And it had bigger colleges there and was a little bit more open-minded because even though it's the Bible Belt, you have Catholics down there. Which, by the way, I, I, I want to... I, I, I did a little digging on the history of the clan that I, I wanted to bring up. But Please do. The funny, like, one of the funny things about the clan is okay one of the groups that they have gone after at different points is catholics however the robes and hoods that they use are derived from robes that were worn by like people in the catholic church during the spanish inquisition i mean like <laughs> it's just do you i mean like what the church was doing to non-believers or you know during different holy celebrations and you know I, I, oh, the irony yeah i mean cardinals still wear those red robes and they're pretty high up and the <laughs> higher up you get the pointier your hat gets right like george carlin said or well, something like that that's well it's, it's very true it's very true but the um was it the kiparoti which is the like hood that is like looks like goes to a point or whatever and has the eye holes cut out that's you still see that sometimes in spain portugal i've heard parts of italy but more it seems spain and portugal still do it like certain holy week celebrations and then that had come over to this partly come over to the states and it came over to mobile alabama again where the united states had its first mardi gras in uh, 1705, was it 1705? It's 1703, sorry. And a lot of the Mardi Gras organizations, which are, they're still run to this day. And some of them, maybe all of them, I, I don't know, I don't live down there anymore. And my mom hasn't gone to any of the balls but lately, but they weren't letting other races in even as guests, or at least, or I should say at least as members until recently. That's still an iffy one if they do that. But it, it was like this whole, these Mardi Gras organizations kind of were a fabrication and an image of French aristocracy and Spanish aristocracy and how the courts ran and, and these different crews that they had, as what they call these organizations, these uh, Mardi Gras organizations. So it kind of blended this, it's like part secret society, but it was done in like started in a jovial way to kind of make fun of, you know, the groups like the Masons and things that were secret societies that were serious. They were doing it more out of, oh, we're going to get together, be our secret society, dress up and just party more. And so you had that kind of stuff happening. And then eventually the Sons of Malta kind of came around. This is kind of how the clan seems to have formed because you see in black Klansman, where he has made contact ron stallworth has made contact and he's getting his membership card and it says you know the ku klux klan night uh, 1865 well the sons of malta were like some of these other secret organizations that started forming and doing more i guess doing less partying and they were but they were still dressing up kind of like these mardi gras organizations mm -hmm. and apparently mobile 
I, I've heard in Mobile history, actually, some different stories about the Sons of Malta, too. Why that was a bigger thing down there um, than even, I guess, the Masons or something. But, and again, it's weird to me because the clan, when they ended up forming in 1865, I mean, Catholics ended up being one of their eventual groups that they kind of went after. You know, of course, I mean, their primary group that they've gone after since the beginning has been blacks and then Jews, then Catholics, immigrants, gays. And then when you, you saw much more towards, particularly, I guess, the towards the peak of its membership in the 1920s, it was going after labor unions. And, mm. and I think in part that came out of the fact that a lot of people who were in these factories and who were organizing were immigrants. You know, I think there was some of that maybe that was intertwined. One of the things that comes to mind really quick thinking about the KKK and racists and stuff being anti-Catholic is like in Gangs of New York. Is this it, priest? The Pope's new army? A few crusty bitches and a handful of ragtags? Yeah, and it's really interesting that to me, I don't remember the clan Growing up in Alabama, because like I said, I moved there when I was four, and I went to one of the better schools in the city and it was a private school. And I, so God only knows what was being taught in the public school books, (laughs) but they did not even mention the existence of the Klan in my history books. Um, (laughs) I knew about it because I went and read on my own, you know, (laughs) the other books probably had applications in the back. Right. Right. Well, and the Klan, it seemed to be really initially be founded in, like I said, 1865, but in um, Pulaski, Tennessee, which my Pulaski, Tennessee connection that I have, and in retrospect, makes me wonder, but maybe I'm just being paranoid, but <laughs> I was driving from Cincinnati down to Mobile one time with my girlfriend, and I got pulled over and got was given a speeding ticket, even though there were cars going faster than me but of course that car did happen to have a rainbow flag a huge rainbow flag bumper sticker on the back so i'm not necessarily saying they pulled me over because i was gay but it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) yeah right and you know and in retrospect knowing that the clan came from that area it's possible i mean they were actually pretty nasty that's my that's my other connection to this story here um But it's interesting, like, that the Klan has kind of gone in these waves. And so there was, like, this first wave. It's like feminism. That's a joke, a very bad joke. But it's kind of through these different distinct stages of reinventing itself. And and we're at that stage again, (laughs) which is why, like I said, once I started reading this, I was like, yeah, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. But where was I? What was I talking about? Tennessee... Oh, okay. My speeding ticket. My stupid speeding ticket story. Yeah. And the connection. Oh, oh the, the waves of the KKK. Y- yes, the waves of the KKK. Not like feminism. 
No. Okay. The waves of the KKK not like feminism. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. No, um, you're allowed, I believe. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I can't grant you permission I, I because... I over your show with this little bit of history here, but like I said, I went down a rabbit hole and I have to share. Hey, that's... <laughs> I can't have this shit stuck in my head and not share it. <laughs> nope, get it out. All knowledge um, to all people. Right on. Oh my god, the whole thing in here where they're talking about white boys versus black boys is hysterical. I oh was my god. so glad because that's in the book. And I was like, I they can't cut that out. I couldn't see Spike Lee cutting it out, but No. No. Oh my goodness. Well well, let me finish my little history about the KKK for and then we'll get to the the movie. Yeah, totally. It's just I, I think I wanted to share this first because it does give you a little information and a little bit of background of where this comes in. Yeah, and it totally leads right into the very beginning of the movie. Right, okay. Yeah, right, exactly. So this kind of this first wave is of the Klan was kind of, like I said, started 1865, but they went and then went to about 1915, and they were just kind of, they weren't super organized, and they wore, sorry for the cop cars. I always have to apologize for the cop cars on my hey. <laughs> Hey, what do you want? You live in Brooklyn. Exactly. What do you want from me? <laughs> so at this point, they they weren't super organized. And like I said, they they kind of just, their outfits, they, they actually like came in different colors. <laughs> it was just, it kind of seems like something that was left over from like these Mardi Gras organizations or these other like Sons of Malta secret societies that had these kind of colorful outfits, you know, gowns, you know, the robes with whatever hood type some of them weren't even complete hoods so they were kind of wearing all that stuff and of course they were they had already formed their ideas you know most of their you know groups that they were after i mean of course their biggest group then that they were suppressing was black people i mean this is the point of reconstruction and such but then along comes what they bring up in the film 1915 and dw griffin's a birth of a nation and that gives the clan this incredible resurgence. It gives them the white robes and hoods, which actually I didn't realize. I thought they had been wearing at least part of the time the white robes before that. I mean, you know, but it seems to be really that's what's that was the PR move for the clan inadvertently. Yeah. Well, you know, in the movie, I guess multicolored things would just look dirty. Of course. Yeah. If you're filming black and white silent film. Yeah. But I, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if D.W. Griff, uh, you, maybe you're going to tell me, uh, since I heard you were doing all this research, I decided to be the student and maybe he might have been in the clan himself. Well, you know, I, I haven't heard that he like definitely was, but he certainly was a sympathizer. Yeah. I mean, there, there's That's pretty no clear. That's pretty clear. It's just he, but I don't know if he was in the clan himself. You know, he was too busy chasing after, like, underage actresses, actually. <laughs> Another kind own, of scum. He had his own demons he was kind of dealing with. But this book was based on novel and play The Klansman by Thomas Dixon Jr. And that I'm not familiar with, so maybe Dixon was uh, a Klan member. I'm not exactly sure about that. 
but that really is what it gives the clan their visual image like i said their pr appearance that they're looking for as a united force and it gives them this whole platform of oh my goodness we got to protect all the white women from the black men and yada 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 all this other bullshit type nonsense that's racist nonsense that's perpetuated in that and that, i mean things that you heard over and over again i mean i love that the film starts out not birth of a nation i mean black Klansman starts out with this kind of propaganda film for the clan and it's alec baldwin <laughs> <laughs> yes that's the guy that's like the narrator type guy i was laughing so i did okay first of all darren i i have to ask what was the audience like that you saw this movie with? Like, what was the demo? What was the demographics in the crowd? Because mine was not what I expected. Mine was. Let's see. The old, there was a really old couple behind us, old white couple. There was a lot of young people, college age. Which we went to this theater called the Gateway. That's right in the middle of campus. Yeah. Uh, a lot of young people. It, it was largely white, but there was a lot of Latina or Latinx ladies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a couple black people and but it was mostly white people but mm -hmm. a diversity around the crowd but not a lot of old people there was maybe four or five old people couples really yeah okay so my audience was surprising i and i asked because i was surprised by the demographic there as right by nyu Okay. Granted, it was an afternoon on a Saturday, but still, that, that doesn't matter. It's a Saturday, and you still have plenty of people going to the movies. And I go to that movie theater all the time for all kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. And it's always pretty much packed or pretty full. And I was expecting a younger crowd. I'm 45. I... Uh, most people there were older than me. Most people there were older than me. I didn't see many people. Like, it looked maybe like, okay, there's some graduate students here. <laughs> like, people in their 30s, like, maybe, or, or, you know, about my age. But, like, I didn't, PhD students, you know. But it was mostly people older than me. A lot of old Jews. <laughs> A lot of old Jewish couples, some Asian couples. Thunderstorms now. Yeah, I guess I just, it's a period it was, piece for them. Well, I, I, that's what I was thinking. But the age, I was expecting a younger crowd because it's right by campus. <laughs> and usually when I go to see movies that have this kind of vibe, or when I've gone to see other Spike Lee movies over there, it is a younger crowd and it is more racially diver you know, mixed. But again, you're right. Maybe... It was the time of day, or maybe it was. They, it's a period piece, and it's an, a nostalgia thing for them, which yeah, like, I could totally see. You know, we were all in our twenties and thirties in the sixties and seventies, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Ho hold on, I gotta close my window. It's all of a sudden like torrential downpours. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> there is like it, it, just like this entire chute of just water like coming down, like drainage chute coming down right on my fire escape. It's, yeah. I just wanted to ask you about the demographic because it was I I thought just it would be a little bit younger crowd, particularly where I was located. You know, if there were other parts of the city that I were in, I would not, not have been surprised by that demographic at all. But it's just right there by NYU. I'm like, 
Really? Unless <laughs> I guess not enough of the students are back yet or something. I don't know. It could be that. Could be. I mean, there are always people that age around there. Maybe it's just everybody that I'm aware of. But it sounds like everybody's seeing it. It just depends on when they're doing it. Yeah, and and we both saw it on the eleventh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it'll get out for a day. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you saw it like a couple hours later than I did, but. And I at first I was I thought that the theater was undercrowded, and then <laughs> by the time the movie was about five minutes in, it was full. It was a good crowd. Uh, a lot of people. I mean, it's a funny movie, in parts, but a lot of yeah. the jokes are about serious shit. Well, and they're smart jokes. Yeah. They're smart jokes. And uh, I I don't know about you, but I this happens a lot to me. I go to movies and there are different points where where like I'll catch a joke or something like before the rest of the audience and I'm I laugh loudly. <laughs> Which everybody knows that has ever listened to me on a podcast knows I laugh like <laughs> loudly. <laughs> And that happened multiple times in this in this movie. Like, okay, one of the things where the ex-con is making the whatever guy as a cop, he's like, and he and then he like says in conversation, "Oh yeah, well, well maybe we went to school together." No, I went to private school. What private school? <laughs> Leavenworth. I'm <laughs> laughing because it's like <laughs> Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. I mean, like, duh, like, yeah. And nobody else in the audience laughed at that. And then like a couple minutes later in the conversation. Like something comes up about the federal pen, and then you heard like a couple other people in the audience be like, "Oh, they got it." Like, <laughs> Leavenworth. Yeah, that that's his private school he went to, his quote unquote <laughs> private school. Yeah, like <laughs> little things like that. I mean, that was the, an instance where they gave the gave you the answer, like two sentences later, pretty much. But. <laughs> It was a really good script, I have to say. Yeah, a lot of good jokes. The changes from the book even are mostly minor. Some are predictable movie changes and some... Right. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Like, just what... I mean, because you you finished the book. I haven't started it yet, but I was going to. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend the book. It is not one of those things where it's, oh, you've seen the movie already? I don't know if you should read the book because it'll make you feel less about one of them. It's mm. it's stuff stuff skipped over for plot. There is that cop that killed right. shot, shot the un- unarmed person that they talk about. Some of the higher-ups are combined into one person. Right, and they, I mean, of course, that's, a basic movie thing what's the girl character's name what laura hart harrier plays her right oh um patrice patrice he mentions in the book that he started dating a girl that he ended up marrying yeah the character's not really in the book but most of their conversations Mm -hmm. sort of replace in a lot of the ways when he's just talking to us in the book Right. Telling us about things and his thoughts and mm-hmm. conflicting emotions. Yeah. So that made a lot of sense to me. And yes, everyone, that is Michael Buscemi. Steve Buscemi's brother that is in it. The the other cop? The other yeah, undercover the cop. cop guy? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> my friend that was with me is like, is, that guy looks really familiar. And I know she was going to say Steve Buscemi. And then she's like, started mentioning like Reservoir Dogs. I'm like, no, it's not Steve Buscemi. It's his brother. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember which one, but I knew it was his brother. 
I kept thinking, where have I seen him before? Uh huh. Uh huh. No, for and for a, and for a minute, I thought it was Steve Buscemi too. It took me a minute, because, but then I heard the voice more, and I'm like, oh no, that's his brother. I just couldn't remember the first name. Well, and also I guess the character of Flip. Mm-hmm. He's Jewish, so maybe that's why you had all the old Jewish people. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he's writing a book, the White Black Klansman. There you go. Um. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. But I guess we can talk about him in our non-spoilery part. Adam Driver, right? You know, I, yeah, and I have to say, he's one of those actors. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes he kind of annoys me. And I liked him this a lot. He worked for the role. And John David Washington, I didn't realize that's Denzel's son. Is it? Yeah. And he actually was, he worked with Spike Lee on Malcolm X. He was like six at the time, but he was in that. <laughs> he had a little scene in there. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I had no idea. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't know that ahead of time. Yeah. Not that it would have necessarily made me say, oh, I'm going to hold him up to Denzel's standards of acting or whatever. But, you know, screen presence. Still, though, you would have had it in your mind. John David Washington. I'm glad he had that hair. There's a yep. really tiny thing that they left out at the beginning of the movie uh-huh. with the book because of that hair and his yeah. the issuing of his hat. Yeah. Because he doesn't wear a hat in this movie. Right. But there there was an issue that you could probably see happening uh-huh. with that character having a cop that doesn't give a shit about his hair and gives him a hat measured to just his head. Right. And not to make up for the natural. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you think, okay, is there anything else vague that we can... Well, okay, I wanted, I let me see, let me see if there's anything else I wanted to share on my history shit before we got into any more. I mean, I think I told you the bulk of stuff, but I wanted to, since this is also, this partially is also getting into some of the film. This kind of gets into a little bit more relatability of the film. David fucking Duke. (laughs) (laughs) The racist tool that he is. Um, Fuck that guy. Fuck the blueprint maker for our fucking president. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I don't know how many people remember. He ran for president of the United States, not just of, you know, McDonald's playland (laughs) or anything. Like actual country in uh, 1988 and 1992. But I remember. Yeah, exactly. I remember that too. And I was like, oh my God. And this guy is from an area of Louisiana that's like a kind of wealthier suburb outside of New Orleans. And my dad, when, because um, my dad, he worked, there was a point when I was in high school that he ended up being uh moved to new orleans because of his job and so i would go to new orleans some of his time and spend time there and when i was in high school and college because of it and it was kind of near where like david duke country it was not the it was it was the less it was the not so wealthy uh next door neighbor (laughs) (laughs) not not quite as racist next door neighbor (laughs) area (laughs) out there but it was my dad described it to me as 
oh, okay, over here, if you're black, you better not be driving through this area unless you have a lawnmower or cleaning supplies in your car. Doesn't Mm. matter what time of day, but he's like, after dark, you better not be here. And that was in the 80s and 90s he was describing it that way. You you know, and that's that's the New Orleans area. That's a bigger, quote-unquote, more liberal, (laughs) you know, type thing. It's party city. Exactly. And no, it's not. It's no wonder David Duke came out of that area it, you see, you'd see it so much and even when like like i said the lynching took place in mobile that was 81 and at first you know even though the clan was sus- suspected of it they were trying there was then like oh no it's a drug thing <laughs> you know and it's like really i don't know of any like black drug deals gone wrong and they're lynching each other like it just <laughs> it doesn't happen um for one thing but you know all these other oh, hello things evidence and the fbi got involved in everything and finally for the first time ever in the history of the clan the clan was convicted of a hate crime and the interesting that so that was 80 30 is when they were arrested 84 I guess was when they were convicted but the lead like the ringleader of all of them the four uh, four guys he was actually sentenced and executed in 1997 and that was the first time since 19 I mean you know I'm very against the death penalty but it's shocking in the fact that it was the first time since 1913, prior to this second wave of the Klan, <laughs> <laughs> where a white man was conv- convicted of, like, white-on-black crime. I mean, that's shocking. And then it was also the f- only time in the 20th century that a white man, you know, had been or a Klansman had been convicted of killing a, a black man. And the mother of the teenager michael um donald that had been killed she with the help of the southern poverty law center uh in the mid 80s filed like a civil suit and that kind of was the amazing thing there was that was really the first time that had been done in um hate crime instance cases where civil suits were being filed and she won and that civil suit helped bankrupt the clan and that was one of the reasons why they had a major decline in uh, membership. I think that case was settled like 87 or something. So, I mean, like if any, if, if there's anything good to come out, come out of all of that horrible incident, you know, there's something that they were able to at least start bringing the clan down. But like I'm saying is that, you know, we have this whole rise over the past. Well, since Obama came in office, the rise of hate groups is just, I mean, it's actually, you know, the membership has increased. Although, one thing, one positive thing I did want to say, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> there was a decline in clan membership or chapters between uh, 2016 and 2017. So now we're down to 22 active KKK groups. <laughs> Still too fucking many. And the other ones went and joined the Proud Boys or some dumb shit. Too, too many but i'm just saying we gotta start somewhere 
that's good. But yeah, they're probably off with some other group or whatever. So piece of shit, David Duke. Right after he gets out, he graduates uh, college in 74. That's when he started the, uh, that's when he founded the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, which is portrayed in the movie here. And he graduated, like I said, 74, but this movie moves the action up in time to like, uh, what would you say, 72, 73? 72 was when Stallworth joined the police force. The police force, right, right. Yeah, and they move it up to much more of that time period because he's at one point talking to Patrice about going to see, like, coffee. You know, not that that could have come out before and they're replaying it or something, but it, they make it seem like, oh, they just went on to see it for the first time. And those were much, and some of those other black exploitation movies they're talking about are, are much more like 73. Yeah, and that is one of the things. Things get rolling a lot faster mm-hmm. in the movie, mm-hmm. as you would expect, because you know, he was in the that file room. For a lot longer, and he, he was, was every time he saw the undercover narc cops, he's like, right. "Let me be a co- let me be one of you guys, let me be one of you guys." And this yeah. went on forever. And they're like, "You're awesome, but no, you gotta you gotta fucking wait, dude." No, you had. I mean, you know that's what would. I mean, just logic would dictate that you just have to watch an episode of Law and Order. Which can I just point out, <laughs> <laughs> Robert John Burke that plays Chief Bridges in here. I know him from two things. Law and Order SVU, where he played like an IAB officer for so many years, and Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on other things, but you know, where he but he will do like different things like cop type dramas, but particularly Law and Order SVU. That's just all I kept thinking of. But I, I think the casting in this was impeccable. Yeah. Every character. Like, oh, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like the <laughs> I'm going to call them rednecks, even though they're from Colorado. But these clan boys, you know, like the the Ivanhoe guy that's like dumb because he's, you know, and he's drunk most oh. of the time. Uh. Like, each is like, uh. he reminds me of the Ethan Stepley character in American History X. Yeah, a little bit. And um, except not that smart. Um, <laughs> but then there's the Felix character. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all just great, too. Yeah. I I mean, I don't recognize any of them as far as um, actors go. The clan folk? Yeah, the guy that played the the Klansmen. But they're fantastic. I feel like I've seen Ivanhoe in something recently, but I couldn't tell you what. He might have been. He looked vaguely familiar, but like I said, he actually looked like a knockoff Ethan Suppley. He Expect really to see totally him driving did. Driving his pickup truck, singing clan songs. Songs, right? <laughs> was that he's what is that the character sings in um, American History X? Yes. The white race is marching on, or some something something like that. To the yeah. tune of Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Oh my God. <laughs> Oi. I think if you hit the point of the basic info on David Duke. We should take a little break, sound the spoiler bugle or whatever the fuck I figure out how to do, mm-hmm. and then get into get into things. Okay, that sounds like a plan to me. Uh, yeah, no, and the only other thing I wanted to add about David Duke is he actually was elected to the Louisiana House of um, Representatives at one point. I couldn't remember if it was House or Senate. 
House of Representatives from 89 to 92. That's fu- that's how Isn't yeah, that I was up? I was still pretty young when he got elected. But and my dad was living in that area of Louisiana at the time. My dad oh. did not vote for him, by the way. <laughs> like I've made it clear. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> yeah, just to get that clear. Yep. <laughs> when did the Gulf War start? Was that 90 or 91 or? 89, 90? Whenever that started, yeah. I, I think I talked about this maybe once or twice before, but whenever that started, I was at a roller skating party for my elementary school. <laughs> and when I got home, the roller rink party. Of course, you got to make that noise. <laughs> yep. When I got home, my parents told me that we were leaving tomorrow for a big <laughs> march in D.C. against the war. And in that, during that march, some your your racist, violent people showed up and attacked yeah. people in the march. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking yeah. about that today and last night when I was watching the movie and. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, as of recording, is one year since Heather Heyer was killed in Charlottesville. Yep. But we'll get more into that and other things uh, after this break. Are you terrified by real life? Us too! You like horror movies? Us too! Then join Maddie and Andrew, your co-hosts for a new podcast that explores horror in real life and horror in the movies. And all with a fresh and fabulous gay perspective. We are a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Facebook, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We're Friday the 13th! Hello, horror fans. This is Jamie from The Skeleton Crew, Evil Episodes, The ABCs of Hidden Horror, Liken It, Dark Regions Radio, and The Cinema Beef Podcast. Phew, I'm a busy girl. I don't always have time to listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer Kill the Cast. Straight from a legend's mouth, you heard it. Kill the Cast, a horror podcast for everyone from Cinebites to werewolves. Come join us. Did you know that the KKK adopted a highway just a few miles away from my mom's house? They pay the money and they burn up the sign. I guess they dress up in sheets and go pick up the trash, the trash, the trash. They pick up the trash, the trash, the trash. They pick up the trash. They should know it when they see it. They get a good look every day in the mirror. They get a good look every day in the mirror. We are back with the spoiler-tastic discussion. <laughs> we can't help but spoil it. There's... Although I think that some of it's been out there in the media anyway, to tell you the truth. Some of it, although I had forgotten about the ending, and then when the ending happened... You're talking about the last five minutes of the movie? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to get to that first or save that for the end. Let's save that to, for the end. Okay. But I emotionally I, yeah. need to say that for the end. I had a big reaction. I'm just saying. Yeah. But I did not know about the ending. I thought that that was something special for the world premiere. I didn't know that that was going to be part of the movie. Okay. So yeah. let's go ahead and, and, and we'll work up to that. We'll inject a little bit of logic, at least once, Darren. I mean, we, I know we don't do it often. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we are already breaking all the rules by having a semblance of structure to this episode. Right, that's true. Uh, and giving a spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus, that never happens. I know, I know. Um, the Black Klansman opens mm-hmm. up with Gone with the Wind. Talk about... Uh, I, I was reading an article from Bitch Magazine the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it came out last year around the time of the Charlottesville rally okay and it was something along the lines of there is nothing worth there's nothing glorious about commemorating the violence of white men or something like that right and how birth of a nation that we talked about in the earlier part of the episode and gone with the wind are both usually in the top five lists of or movies of top five movies about the civil war where it seems like Mm -hmm. Most of the well, movies about the Civil War. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and they and they have a clip too, Gone with the Wind, which fuck that shit. Yeah. Sorry, I have feelings about that movie. <laughs> no, no <laughs> that's okay. Good, and not they good feelings either. But they talk ahead. about it a little bit later in the movie when the guy's mm-hmm. talking about he um, makes that Hattie McDaniel reference. Yeah. So and how most movies about the Civil War talk about the people being flawed men rather than focusing in on their racism and shit like that. So yeah, the movie starts with gone with the wind and it's that part that they talk about in the outsiders. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I just have to say my feeling of I've seen gone with the wind once. I finally broke down when I was in my late twenties and saw it Yeah, because I've been as, as soon as I moved to Alabama, it was ingrained and beaten in my head oh my god gone with the wind it's such a wonderful movie oh my god <laughs> oh and it was also that idea of fragile femininity bullshit that i was not raised with there were certain members of my family who tried to push it you know and of course it's media that you see around there all the time and i resisted seeing the movie for many years and i only reason i broke down and saw it is because i'm like I want to be cinematic completionist. You know, I want to see this something that's supposed to be highly regarded as an excellent piece of cinema for that time period, for 1939. It won, not just Hattie McDaniel, but however many Oscar, you know, and nominated and yada, yada, yada. Okay, sure. I've not seen every Oscar movie, nominated movie, but... Sure, I like to you know educate myself that way because I'm a geek. <laughs> it's just how I work. So that's why I finally decided to see it. And it was because it was my girlfriend at that time. Her mother, who was not from the South, loved that movie. And so I was like, okay, it's a little bit different perspective to hear this is someone from Ohio saying, oh, I love this movie. And it had a to- it kind of had a different connotation <laughs> about, like I said, it didn't have the pushing this image of Southern fragile femininity that I was like, okay, maybe there's something else there. Oh my God. Just can't. No, I can't do it. It is. It's, it's hard. It, I will say it has some great cinematic achievements in it, like some with the costuming and some different things with film quality and and Hattie McDaniel, I will say, her fucking performance is amazing. But I've seen her in other things. She's was it's unfortunate that where she was in Hollywood at that time, I mean, the way that they treated people, they were 
of her race or any race that was not white. I mean, Birth of a Nation, for goodness sake, had all the these all the blackface actors. That was the mainstream. I mean, that was 1915, but still going on. There was a, a, a quite a long period where you did see blackface in mainstream movies that weren't even as overtly racist as a Birth of a Nation. And then by the time you get Gone with the Wind, okay, you are seeing some actual black faces on screen, but there's still, vast majority of the time, they're pretty awful portrayals. And what you are, you start romanticizing these aspects of this era and putting out there some things that are completely factually inaccurate. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Rhett Butler. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had a lot of Civil War history pushed on me in school. Dante. And at least my history professor or my teacher did say <laughs> Gondo the Wind was historically inaccurate in a lot of ways. I give I commend her for that. <laughs> that's bold words in Alabama. That, that's fighting words. But it was an all girls school, so maybe, you know, that maybe that was uh I don't know. I think she was from Missouri, so she didn't know better. <laughs> She's going to show you because she's from the show me state, right? Yeah, but they're, they're still Southern, but they're just not as Southern. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I got on my tangent about they just, because they do bring up Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind later on. It was that David Duke who brings it up. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's like, he said that he really likes Spike Lee. Did you, David did you Duke? see this? David Duke. David Duke called the real Ron Stallworth. Or did mm -hmm. he call, didn't he? Yeah, he tried to get yeah. a hold of Ron Stallworth, and he tried to get a hold of Spike Lee. Spike Lee, too. I forget which one yeah. of them he actually conversed with. Yeah, because I know he was afraid that he was going to come off as too much of a buffoon. And I'm like, honey, you did that to yourself. Like, your entire political <laughs> career. Like, and all these other things. I mean, he's still, still going at it, which they do have a current clip of him at the end. And you look at that, and don't you see now, like, okay, that's going to be Topher Grace in 20 years. <laughs> His... does, don't you see that's how, what he's going to like that's exactly how he's going to age <laughs> yeah and I that's can't from... get over how much Topher Grace looks like him it's really he did an I amazing mean, job I would say he really did and he, and he has because he has the mannerisms tool <laughs> to I said tool because <laughs> I'm just thinking David Duke is a tool and well and you're still related but side tangent on Gone with the Wind sort of explains why we go to Dr. Kennebrew Beauregard Oh, God, I love the name. There are certain things like that that you're just like, oh, Spike Lee. I just, I don't love every single Spike Lee movie. I will say that. But I like his stuff overall. Yeah. I will say that. And I love moments like that. <laughs> like <laughs> when he does, when things like that happen, that's when I'm like, see, this is what I love about Spike Lee. Because there's these little, in these moments of seriousness, he just injects a certain amount of humor. Or he's like, like clear in his voice, like, Ugh! Alec Baldwin. Like I said, he was just perfect for it. Perfect for it. And then, of course, it makes it even funnier because his character, his little, and it's not, he's not even on screen that much, but his little character, it's like, he can't remember his lines or something. And my friend that's sitting there is like, does he have Tourette's or something? Because it just <laughs> sounds like it. Because all of this rehearsed dialogue is such hateful, bigoted nonsense. And then it was just like, and when you hear it in someone who's flubbing up lines, 
You know, it does sound like someone has Tourette's a little bit. Like, you're just all these Louise, these people. And they can't even buy their own bullshit sometimes. Right. That that kicks off the movie, and then we get to Ron Stallworth. I'm really, I, I think I should avoid doing a line-by-line line comparison with the book. But, yeah, so Ron Stallworth, in the movie and in real life, becomes the first black detective in the Colorado Springs Police Department, 1972. Detective or cop, or both? Uh, well, uh, both, but first cop, okay. then detective. Because he he joined the academy out of high school because he yeah. was, he didn't initially plan on being a cop. It it was joining the junior junior academy thing because it yeah. was a good job. And right. quick quickly in the movie, he's flipping through the paper and. He sees an ad recruiting for the KKK. And that was accurate. Uh, uh, Most of the time. Was he already, he was already a cop first though. Yeah, yeah. He was already a a cop. A desk cop. Yeah, he was a desk cop. He went through the local want ads and things looking for stuff like prostitution or veiled drug sale things you know uh, i don't remember if he said it in the book or in the movie but he'd say you'd be surprised what kind of stuff people just put in the want ads i think he says it in the movie okay i think he said something to that effect yeah so he was he when wasn't he points it out and they, they're like what <laughs> yeah he sort of fell into he's like oh here's an ad for the kkk i'll give him a call he gives a call to just sort of start the conversation Right, just to see what happens. Just to see if they bite. Yeah, and the guy calls back, and they... <laughs> he talks, you know, tell me why you want to be part of the cause, or whatever the fuck he says. And well, he... I love, I have to say, I love that it's like, okay, he leaves him a message, and then he immediately, immediately gets a call right back. <laughs> so, like, the guy was sitting right there screening the calls. Yeah, he's waiting. <laughs> and he's... Yeah, waiting, and it's like, oh, I'm so excited. A new recruit. I mean, like, is yeah. that what they sit around like? I mean, I could see it, though. That's what gets me. It, it There is that that desperation, and the um, the David Duke thing was... Which you, you think people would have to be a little bit desperate if you're putting stuff in the one ads. Like, advertising, like, hello, membership. Please haul away my mattress yeah. and join the KKK. So he gets a bite, and he... Did I just hear you use your real name? <laughs> What's his name? Flip. Oh, yeah, Flip. Flip Zimmerman. Flip Zimmerman. They, yeah, they couldn't make a more Jewish last name. <laughs> they, they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do? What do we do with this? They, you know, luckily... If, I mean, if this was in the South, it would have been like, tough shit, fella, that's my cousin, or something like that. But here, at least some of the higher-up officers were... I don't know if it's progressive is the right word, but... Well, at least maybe more middle of the road. I would put it that way. It was more middle of the road. Because, I mean, this is Colorado Springs. My dad talking about working for the government, the federal government, in the 80s. And, like, the gr- and like the people that they needed to send, because it was... um. He worked with the uh, USDA and the Federal Grain Inspection Service. Whenever they would send people, at, like inspectors out of the field office, like to go to different sites to inspect grain that was going to be, you know, 
wheat, whatever, corn, yada, yada, uh, that had to be loaded on stuff, they had to send the federal inspectors out to look at it, you know, at the silos and those different things in different parts of Alabama. And, of course, that's kind of some of that, you know, it's pretty rural. Because you can have farms pretty close to the actual city, but Alabama's largely still, you know, agricultural in, to this day. And my dad said that any time there were the vast majority of the state, but particularly like one area of the state where you, they would absolutely never send just one like black inspector by themselves. They would always send them at least send them in twos because of a safety issue because the clan was so big in there. And that was, these were federal agents that were going to work, you know what I mean? And the Klan was still like, it was pretty much, it was, it was such an open secret in the, a few of these counties that, oh yeah, no, we have no fear of, you know, we might go ahead and kill us a federal officer. That was the 80s. <laughs> you know, that's not that long ago when you think about it. And, and this movie takes place a, a little bit before that, but it's across the country. I, I've been to Colorado Springs once. Yeah. And some of the punks there said that there was enough racists, there were enough racists around that they had like a anti-racist action chapter. Mm-hmm. But they didn't make it seem like it was the South. Well, uh, it looks like as of last year... You have two active clan chapters in the state of Colorado. This is, I'm, I'm looking at Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, intelligence report and their hate map. <laughs> I pulled this out when we did Green Room, too. <laughs> you did, you did. <laughs> Except it was with the neo-Nazis that time. But yeah, so that was like, okay, two in Colorado last year, whereas there were five in Alabama. Expect more in Alabama. I mean, truthfully, I would. But... There are other parts of the South that have, you know, more. So the real Ron can't go to the meeting. <laughs> exactly. Because, <laughs> oops, <laughs> I had a flash <laughs> to um, a few times in this movie to um, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> to the scene where Gene Wilder and, uh, oh, what's his name? Cleavon. Levon Little, uh, yeah, dress up, like, hide, disguise themselves in clan rooms. <laughs> and Cleavon Little sticks his hand up. Ooh. <laughs> oh, see, it's coming off. It's coming off. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that flashback a couple times in this movie, and which was a good thing, because I didn't feel like they were, it was, you know, maybe there was a little homage to that thrown in. I could see Spike Lee doing that. I can only imagine the sort of shit Mel Brooks yeah. and Spike Lee would talk about. Absolutely. Jeez Louise. But it's a pretty good setup. Oh, well, I guess we should start with his first undercover assignment is to see Kwame... Kwame Ture. Kwame Ture. Ture. Formerly, known, formerly known as Stokely Car Carmichael. Yeah. And I can give this away. He just just refers to him as Stokely Carmichael in the book. Well, that's, that's, what, all the, that's what all the politicians were doing. They weren't recognizing the name change yeah i don't care if you call yourself draft dodging muhammad ali exactly i'm like well okay they <laughs> they use that name change but <laughs> wait a second wait a second 
A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named him Clee. I'm gonna call him Clee. For everything, for most everything else, they refer to him as Stokely. Yeah. So uh, if you, however you want to refer to him for the rest of for rest of our discussion, it's fine with me. We'll stick to it. I mean, his name, he changed his name to Kwame. Yeah. So I'm I'm cool. I might slip up and say Stokely because okay. I, I was more familiar with Stokely than I was Kwame. Yeah. No, me too. But uh, you tell me what you want to be called and I'll call you that is basically right. how I try to go. He does go undercover to the meeting. He meets... Ron Stallworth, that is. Yeah, Ron Stallworth, not Kwame. <laughs> yeah. Kwame is giving a speech. And Stallworth goes, and he meets such a beautiful, smart lady. Oh, my God. She's amazing. And I have to say that's one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is that you have such a strong, powerful female figure and a female of color that that is in this role. And even though she's a secondary character, she's still a very, like, a force to be fucking reckoned with. Yeah. She's, you know, the voice of reason, the voice of power. Exactly. Exactly. She's emotional on multiple levels and, yeah, passionate about beliefs. Right. Patrice. I didn't look into if that's the name of the woman that Stallworth ended up marrying or not, but it doesn't matter. We're talking about the movie. (laughs) Right, exactly. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, So he meets Patrice and they go, you know, he gets kind of into it at the speech and, you know, like all power to all people and Kwame pulls him in close at the end and says, you know, arm yourself, brother. The revolution is coming. Stallworth goes and does his debriefing and Patrice and Kwame go and get totally fucked with by the racist cop. I think you have a moment of if he's checking her out, like asking her out for a drink afterwards to try to get intel or if he's interested, you know, interested with her. And I'm fine with them not pushing like the, they don't push it as in romance, even if that is his intention. I mean, he's obviously finds her attractive because she is attractive. I mean, like, <laughs> we yeah. know none of us are going to deny that, but it's, he, it doesn't come across as I'm being skeezy or anything. And it's very respectful because he also, yeah, there is a side of him that he is still a little on assignment, at least partially. He still got the wire. Yeah, he still got the wire, but did, did he turn it off at that point? That's no. what I don't remember. Because they talk about when he's talking with the chief or his sergeant, he said, did you hear oh, the okay. thing she said about the, okay. un- the unknown officer? Right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's why I was trying to remember. But she's a agitator. Of course she would say that. Yeah, yeah. The thin blue line. They talk about that yeah. a couple couple times when Stallworth is with his two main partners, Michael Buscemi and Kylo Ren. Or uh... <laughs> I know, right? They're just moments <laughs> where you want to go, Kylo Ren. Yeah. And I just recently rewatched an old episode of when I say old, I mean like eight years old episode of Law and Order SVU with him and he plays like a pervy computer geek and he's like installs security like little cameras all in some girl's apartment so he can spy on her. Yeah. <laughs> <Wackle>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
yeah, add that to the, the list of roles that he's played. I saw that the other day, and then I saw this. So, yeah, I, I, I had a weird image of him. I, I look forward to seeing him in more stuff. I, I think he, um, like I said, I with him, I, I think it depends on the role, because there are some things that are, I'm just like, eh, I don't just feel like he needs to be pushed more as an actor. I think he can do some interesting things, but he also, I, the, the, uh, as much as I love all the Star Wars stuff, he kind of bugs me in there. Because there, there are some positive things going on in Black Klansman, definitely, but there are also some very harsh things at the same time. Uh, I think one of the things that was a little bit of both was when the, when Zimmerman goes to that meeting at, what's his face's house the, the the bodyguard the crazy one the the crazier clansman felix and felix the one and with the wife the wife that's oh all God, that betty wife. crocker and she's like let me know if i can help hon can i blow like, up some black people's house oh i can't wait no i mean not that she had quite that accent but <laughs> it's just what i picture like some oh just so weird so weird the clans women like the wives like the clansmen because it's like they're not really involved I, I don't you know it's it's just strange and i don't know off i and when i was doing my deep dive of clan history today i didn't get to the point where the clans started embracing women more i think that had to be that had to be third wave clanism <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. And I would say, no, I mean, and they were, seriously, when I say third wave, it's like when it kind of like the 50s, 60s is when the Klan kind of had another resurgence. And I guess that went into the the 80s. But, you know, when they kind of were toppled. But still, I don't know. I feel like there was this point in the 70s where the Klan and the Nazis were... Like, there's that joke in Blues Brothers where, like, oh, I hate Illinois Nazis Nazis. or whatever. You know, and because there were a lot of, like, you know, the neo-Nazi and Klan, I think, rallies going on in the 70s. And I don't know if that came out of the 60s and all that whole people, like, you know, late governor of Alabama, George Wallace, you know, segregation... Was it segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever? You know, his bullshit. Um, yeah, blocking doors to schools. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got a side tangent about that. But that <laughs> he was running for re-election for governor, I guess, again. This was in the 80s. And there's, like, some big festival we were going to. And there's, like, a, a you know, of course like a parade that goes with it. And, you know, then that brings all the politicians in their cars, you know, driving along as you see. And so this one, all these politicians are there, they're in their convertibles or they've got all their windows, like to their fancy cars, like all rolled down, like these classic cars, but most of them are in convertibles. And then all of a sudden drives up this one, all black windows all rolled up and you vaguely in tinted glass and you vaguely see a waving hand and my dad says what's wrong does that guy think he's gonna get shot and it was george wallace <laughs> 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 had been shot like a decade prior 
I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my fucked up childhood. That's f- fucking George Wallace. A lot of fucked we... up shit about him. <laughs> yeah, we we were not popular with certain people because we were not. Yeah, we did not support that regime. <laughs> no, fuck them. Exactly. Anyway, um. <laughs> real Ron Stallworth and fake Ron Stallworth keep working on combining their you know their persona uh zimmerman's at the felix felix fucking that that lie detector test thing oh my god everybody's waving guns around uh that was one of the first big laughs huh the amount of guns oh my goodness that's what gets me is it's bad enough when you have people who are willing to go out there and they're going to, okay, I'll throw some rocks through some windows. Um, I'll stick a burning cross on your lawn, you know, scare you that way. But then once you start adding in other things like um, ammunition and guns and, you know, a whole arsenal, like there's a one scene all of a sudden, and then they ripped off the C4 and they're making it, you know, whatever explosives, like, fucking nuts and there was a lot of bombings in the 60s and 70s exactly well and you know what's interesting is those church bombings that um at least uh uh, most of them like the the clan was responsible for like in the 60s they didn't get um taken to court until like the 90s and such after that whole case happened in Mobile with the lynching. So, it, like, they started seeing, like, no... Again, like I said, the Klan didn't have the the support public-wise, and it didn't have the funding, so they couldn't have, you know, mount these legal defenses anymore. And they were getting put in jail. Like, what was it? Bobby Lee Cherry that led the Birmingham uh, jail bombings in, what was that, 63, 64? Um, the little black girls. Oh, right. Ebenezer Baptist Church. He wasn't convicted until, I'm going to say almost 2000. They caught them. They caught another group, I mean, of Klansmen. And these guys, of course, were so old anyway, but they've served time. Some of them have died in jail just because of old age. Some were killed. It's worth tracking down the old Nazis. That's what I'm saying. It's never too late. That was one of the first bigger laughs in in the theater was when he was like, what, do you want to see my dick? <laughs> yeah. Is that what this is all about? And then they did, they highlighted the homophobia or at least the casual yes. homophobia or whatever. Yeah, the they fuck did. you want to say about the Klan and racists and bigots, you know? No, they, no, they did highlight some of the homophobia. So many, so much fucked up shit. And this was not long ago. I, exactly. So in real life... These events all happen in, what, 1979, in 1980. Because that's what he started in se- at, with the police department there in 79, I thought. In real life, it was the early 70s that he started oh, was with the it? police department. Um, oh, no, he sorry. He started, it, it was just, this operation didn't happen maybe until later. That's what, I yeah. That's what okay. he, he paid his dues no. in the police department before he got shit going and then it took a lot longer than it took to yeah 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 go go through the movie okay but even still you're looking essentially 40 years ago and people are driving around with white pro- well 
yesterday, today, tomorrow, people are driving around with fucking white prize stickers on their pickup trucks. So yeah, Zimmerman's getting close, getting further into the clan. He's, you know, going to shootings and finding, you know, those two guys that work for NORAD. Because there's the nearby military base of uh, Fort Carson. And, you know, the investigation's really showing how dangerous and disorganized at the same time the clan was. And the way that their, right. their plan to go mainstream was started even back then. Well, okay, I have to say this. I commend the clan in that. <laughs> Do not take that out of context. David Duke was revolutionary in the PR sense. He knew how to get out there as a clean-cut guy in a suit. He had the good looks, the youthful good looks, to be the face of the new clan. And it was fucking marketing and packaging. And he got out there and he knew how to speak to a crowd. It's the same kind of bullshit that Hitler could do. They knew how to work a propaganda machine and a PR appearance and things like that. And, you know, in that way, wow, that's impressive. But look at the rest of the shit they were doing. Oh, my God. And what was behind it all was just atrocious and is atrocious because they may say all this stuff and they may make certain threats, but they are so disorganized. And you look at this movie and you see, like, they can't get their shit together to save their lives. Bumbling through stupid and hate-filled, you know, David Duke just answers the phone and... At the national headquarters. Are you uh, kidding me? I, he, he, he at least seems like such a sexist, he'd have some cute little girl working for him to answer the phones. I'm sorry. He seems like that sexist that would do that. I don't, I, I just don't see anyone like calling right through to the, the national head of an organization. And that, that gets explained a little bit more in the book. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It, it, it at least makes more sense in right. a way. It wasn't unbelievable in the movie, but it gets more well, believable. I mean, I mean, on the other hand, they could also, he also could be just such poor operation can't afford to have someone but you know or whatever but david duke is already in the 1970s was being accused of mishandling funds of the clan they were already accusing of him of that in the mid to late 70s and then in 2002 he ended up going to jail for it <laughs> <laughs> And served prison time. I didn't know he actually served prison time. I, w I was like, what? Oh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 15 months, but done, whatever, I don't care. Right. But it was felony fraud that he pled guilty to. But who knows how many years he was, like, stealing money or something, you know? If they were already had been questioning him in the 70s, oh, my God. Yeah, long grift. Another parallel. Hello. Well, and so, so much of the dialogue in, that comes out of the David Duke, well, actually just the clan members in general, like the ones who are the true racists, not the cops who are undercover saying something. You know, if they are, it's because they're repeating what one the, the white racist has said. It's a soundbite that can be taken from the today's news. 
so much of it is. Whether it's coming out of someone in our current administration, <laughs> some, you know, different media personalities, whatever. Some of these people that are, you know, that lean in this white nationalism sensibility, whether they call themselves a neo-Nazi, a Klansman, whatever, a lot of it's the same rhetoric. But I love that there were certain things. I mean, they didn't... Did they come right out? Did Spike Lee have someone come right out and say, make America great again? I don't think he, he uh, did. He? I think he I said, and we can make America great again. I think it was something similar, but it wasn't exactly. <laughs> but you're okay. like, okay, I'm pretty sure. Well, they, yeah, and I think it was something very, very close, but he, not exact. And there was the America first, but that was taken. That was used by the Klan before it was used by Trump. Right. Um, of course it was. And the thing about, oh, we're going to get into politics. It was like, oh, the American people would never elect somebody like that. Yeah, exactly. Duke was already running for office and like for whatever political office in 1975. That's the first year he ran or he had aspirations pretty young. He was definitely steering it in that direction. I mean, this was part of an agenda he had. That's effective. I, th I think effective is how I think of it more than impressive, although impressive is not necessarily praise. No, no, I'm just saying it's terrifying, actually, because of the rhetoric and that the fact that so many people were just like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, or that so many people don't hear the words coming out of his mouth. There's like a disconnect. There's something they like about him charisma-wise, you know, but he could be almost be saying anything, and they'd buy it, which is to some extent like 45. I mean, some people are just that way when they speak and the way they can stir up a crowd for better or worse. You want people to be a powerful, powerful speakers when they have a good message, but you know, some heavy still, shit in this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of heavy shit because even there's the discussion back and forth between Patrice and Ron. I mean, when he's still technically undercover, but he's not necessarily surveilling her anymore. They're just hanging out where they're getting into discussions about black liberation and what's the best way to go about it. And I know you and I had a little discussion about it before, and I, I keep saying that I want to do at some point, which that might be a VD clinic thing because I want to do the book as well. But the spook who sat by the door about someone who infiltrates, I mean, that's a, a novel that that's based on. But just this whole idea of can you infiltrate like from the inside? Do you get anything done that way? Well, there's big camps on both sides of that argument. Absolutely. I mean, I'm one of those people that believes that sometimes you can, but that's not the only way to get it done. And it's not necessarily the better way or the easier way. Right. No, it's not. And I would say doing it all on the outside has to be done, but sometimes that's not all that should be done. You have to get a certain amount of someone on the inside to work with you and give, help you get a little bit more leverage, unfortunately. And you've got to respect also people have varying degrees of how they're comfortable of making, creating a revolution. There's a lot of roles in a revolution. Absolutely. Doing nothing is not acceptable. How you utilize what position you're in is really what it comes down to. Just adjust your situation and adjust your way of thinking. Think outside the box. Uh, you know, take a chance, like, like Ron Stallworth did. You know, he just called a called a phone number in a one ads and oh 
just hysterical. It's it's hysterical that the clan just had it like in the one ads, but it's terrifying at the same time. Different power structures embolden that kind of lunacy. I think that's part of why the clan had so many different waves. And yeah, David Duke comes to town for Ron Stallworth's uh, initiation into the clan in the movie. I think it's brilliant that they stick the real Ron Stallworth on guard duty of uh, David Duke at the uh, rally. Yeah. So that David Duke's like, I've got to be like guarded by a black man, like a black (laughs) police officer. Really? You're kidding me? Like, it's just, yeah, you're just like, I love it. love it. Oh, the picture. The picture. Oh my God, it's hysterical. I want to talk about the guys that are the, that are the servers the bussers the ones the the black guys staying there and their reactions compared to the white female servers yes. <laughs> like their reaction to what the clan is saying and then <laughs> and i know it's been in i guess one of the trailers or something but the one black male server who leans there and she's like if i know this is going to be a clan rally i wouldn't have taken this gig <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> right shit yeah exactly it's a job but fuck oh. this movie i think One of the taglines for this movie is the movie we need right now. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I don't think it's the only movie we need right now. Yeah, we've talked about so many parallels throughout the movie. And this is basically like the climax of the movie where plan B of going to Patrice's house with the bomb and Stallworth goes. And of course, the cops show up and... They go after him because he's a black guy and the white lady. Right. That that immediate bias in training. Right. Even though he's arresting the white woman clan wife that has planted a bomb, even though he is he's put cuffs on her or he's trying to put cuffs on her. Yeah, rather. His, his cuffs are showing though because he's got that thing on exactly, his belt. Exactly. 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 He's trying to do that. And the two white police officers pull up, uniform officers, and he's, un- he's, gonna, un- he's undercover, and they see him, and immediately, and she starts screaming immediately, oh, he's raping me, or he's trying to rape me, and everything, and he's trying to say, explain, I'm a cop, I'm a cop, I'm, tr- I'm trying to arrest her. My badge is in my pocket. My badge is in my pocket, like, he, and he, they won't hear any of it. Meanwhile, he's getting beaten, and handcuffed, and... Here comes Zimmerman to save the day. I almost called him Kylo Ren. I take I, I did after a while take him more seriously. He has to be the one to save the day, even though he's also undercover cop and he's also got his badge right there the same way. It's just the fact that he's fucking white. He gets out of the car with his gun. <laughs> and they they let him talk. Exactly. And the thing is, is that the Ron, Ron Stallworth didn't even have his gun out. Did he? No. No, I don't think he did. I think he just yelled at her to stop. Yeah, and he chased her and he tackled her. And he chased her and tackled her, and he was just putting her arms behind her back. He didn't even have his gun out, I don't think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's one of the things I probably would have written down, but I don't want to be that guy pulling my phone out in the movie theater. Right, Uh, exactly. And I was so engrossed in the action. Well, yeah, it happens pretty quickly, too. But it's still, it's, you've seen... At other points in the movie is this white uniform officer 
who it's known that or whatever or discussed that he shot an unarmed black youth you're like yeah same shit still happening different day different day do you want to be the one that goes against him yeah, exactly. And there were, you know, and talking about, okay, even people in the police department who knew about all this shit going on. And this guy, nothing happens to him. All these different things. And Stalworth says it reminds me of another organization. Exactly. So even if he's not going out using the same terror tactics that the clan is using, he's using something else. And it's actually worse because he's got the law on his side. He can manipulate them in so many more ways. When I worked for the Cincinnati Police Department and the time I was there, I mean, like, they, IAB was always, they, they were always being investigated for their use of excessive force, particularly against people of color. And when I lived in Cincinnati, I wasn't working for the police department anymore, but when I lived there um, a few months before I moved to New York, there was, like, yet another shooting of an unarmed black youth. And we had, we were under, like, curfew for eight days like it was supposedly where we were having race riots you know it wasn't really race riots i'm sorry <laughs> thank you media i know how you like to trump up things but it's called protesting the only thing violent that happened was one jackass threw a trash can through a window a guy that wasn't even with the protest you know but that's what got the attention right and there was like no looting or whatever nothing being stolen it was just yeah, all kinds of just peaceful protests. Like, <laughs> people were pissed off. Rightfully so. I was one of those people. This kind of thing, it's, I mean, how many times do we have to see something on the news now? Which, I guess we can go ahead and come to the end of this film. Just before that, before the final five, the movie concludes with the chief saying, okay, destroy all your information about the investigation. It's over you're done. Uh, not in uh, you're in trouble thing, but it's we're going to distance ourselves from this now. For various reasons. And then, yeah, we go into the final five. I don't know if you want to take a really short break. Yeah, let's take a break. I brace ourselves. But uh, yeah, we'll take a really quick break and then we'll come in and we'll talk about this last five. And then we will wrap up this episode. Can you do that with the right white man? We can do anything. So anyway, are we back recording or not? I think we are. So, yes, the last, the at the end of this movie, you said you knew about it ahead of time. I did not. <laughs> okay. Are you glad that I didn't warn you? Or are you um, mad at me? It doesn't matter one way or the other. Okay. It makes sense considering some other Spike Lee films that I've seen in some ways. He's where he's combined done like fictionalized versions of real events and then suddenly incorporated footage from the real news not to be confused with fake news <clears throat> um <laughs> yeah exactly and so i do love okay even though i know so before we get to the real news footage that spike lee adds on the very end of this film the last five minutes of this film i would say it ends with the real Ron Stallworth talking to David Duke on the phone and basically outing himself saying, you know what, no, I was that black police officer. I took you, you know, blah, 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 blah. Aura. 
aura and they're talking about like i know the difference between a black voice and a white voice that did not happen in real life which it makes great it, it makes a great movie ending but i don't think that they needed it honestly i think they could have gotten away with not doing that but it still was fun to you know have that nice little jab and laugh at david duke's expense because he's a fucking racist tool i mean <laughs> right i'm not gonna turn that down so then to have that and then suddenly it kind of cuts to the real footage the real news footage they were instances from only 2017 they That's had the, the scariest part the tiki torch march the cat in virginia yeah uh, yep that was to kick off the weekend of the so-called Unite the Right rally that was about, you know, they said it was about the removal of Confederate statues. Right, exactly. And it was just a bunch of neo-Nazis and skinheads and racists marching around with torches saying white lives matter and a whole bunch of other dumb shit. And then it's got, is that when it goes to David Duke Sharp. talking? Not yet, but David Duke is mixed in with all this footage. His footage, though, is from 2016 or through 2017. I think it might have been 2016 before Trump. Okay, it's hard for me to say that. Before 45 was elected. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of that was from the Vice like... special that followed the Charlottesville rally. Well, and... there was some of it. This was also about Charlottesville, too. I think there maybe there were two different clips of him that were in there. And one was a little bit older. And then one was from 2017 with him. But most of the stuff was just 2017. And that's what got me is that you went through five minutes of all this footage of multiple violent rallies and things. And these kind of whatever propaganda marches. It was just all over basically, basically the course of a year, two years max. I'm, I'm declaring it. This is fourth wave clanism. I'm giving it a stupid academic term. Ugh. And even though I had seen all of this footage before multiple times, I, I mean, and still there's, I've said before, because of my anxiety and depression, I've had to step away and not watch as much. Like, I'll read about different things happening, but I've had to stop back and not watch as much of it happening. And then to see this so much of this footage in a condensed five-minute time period, yeah. maybe blame it on my meds being off or something, I don't know, or maybe I actually am just an emotional, caring person. I was in tears, honestly. Yeah, I was close. Because it's partly so sad, but I was also so angry that this is what we're having to... We're still fucking fighting this shit. Why are we doing this in this day and age? I just don't get it. Scared old white men. It's not just old white men. That's true. You've got a quite a bit of youth out there too. Yeah, a lot of college kids. Women? Like Women. they're like in a way that you've never seen before. Better or worse, they were I mean, they were pushed very much to the side. I mean, like and you see this movie where the clan wives like, oh hey, 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 you know. They get to come, like, for the dinner after the clan secret ceremony, you know. But then the one wife gets picked to do for the special mission. It's like she's been waiting all her life to do this. Like, it's just bananas. It seems so logical how stupid it is, but there's still so yes. many people that buy it. It was it was a brutal five minutes. And yeah. I, like you, I had seen 
all that stuff before i was following well, you, along you knew about it too too yeah maybe I, if i'd known about it i i would have been a little bit more okay but i'm not even i'm not i don't even think so honestly it was just the way it was put together i mean like the way the scenes had flowed up to that point and that's one thing that i, I one thing i will give spike lee to his credit he 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 can do those kinds of things in his movies unfortunately he doesn't do it all the time he certainly knows how to swell to those kinds of moments of just complete emotion and that captures so much of the vibe that the entire film has been going for you know everything just pulling it together into like one moment like one small moment i don't know about your theater but when that when that ended i know it wasn't this long but it felt like there was a minute of silence and then when the credits started going there was applause no, there there was probably there was a good thirty seconds to a minute of silence, and then there was a pause. But then there were people sitting there for a minute after that too. <laughs> it wasn't like they just jumped up to like yeah. get there. No, like, and... everybody was taking their time to get like to get up and to get like walk out of there. And I saw a lot of people like who looked like they enjoyed it, but were like it seemed like they were trying to talk about it but didn't know how. But I, I didn't hear anybody saying anything negative, honestly. I don't think anybody that wants to see this movie would be disappointed. And and what I mean, too, is that everybody had this look on their face like, I'm processing what I just saw on the screen for two hours. Don't let that, you know, hold you back either. It doesn't seem like it's that long. Yeah, there's shorter movies that feel a lot longer than this. Agreed. This, this moves at a clip where we talked about why there was consolidations from the book, which is also a quick read. But yeah, I mean, this movie gets going, it goes, and then you're done, and then you're you're catching your breath. And I don't know, is there anything else you want to add before you plug your other shows and we say goodbye? I was just going to say, I know you and I have had this discussion off mic, but this is not to be confused with the exploitation, 1966 exploitation movie, Black Klansman, which has only, has one less K in that situation. That actually, which I, is on Amazon Prime, by the way, and I just rewatched just because, I, I don't know, I was like, oh, why not? And, um, yeah, it's not the same story. It, it does have the same premise of someone black infiltrates the clan in some way. Let's all, you know, that's the only similarity between the two. Good thing to point out. So, yeah, I want to say thank you. It has been a while since you've been back on the show. Everybody that's been following pride. along. Pride. It's beginning of the summer and we're wrapping up summer and it's been a while since we've had a one-on-one over here but where else are you um so i'm on the vd clinic and i am also on devour the podcast and both of those are on the legion podcast network something for everybody that's where you can find me and you know at vd clinic darren and i do a book and a movie every month and devour is all horror and i do that with Bo ransdale and jamie salmon so that's a lot of fun as well yeah we're about to get into some crazy ass shit over there (laughs) just saying i mean we're coming up on horror horror movie christmas which is october yeah exactly shit's about to get real that's all i'm saying I can't imagine you listening to this and not knowing about those other shows, but 
you never know. Maybe this is your first time listening. And in that case, thank you. And thank you, Vanessa. And no, thank you, Darren. And until next time, all power to all people. Fucking A, man. My pillow at night, the type of silent prayer to make myself prepare for the light. Me and my cousin Lucy ranked the girls between one and ten, and the highest number got to be my pillows for ten. Now I apologize to every high ranker, but you taught me how to dream, and so I also thank you. I never had the courage to approach you at school. We joked around a lot, and I know you thought I dressed cool. But I was just covering up All the insecurities that came bubbling up My complexion had me stuck in an emotional rut Like the time your flavor flayed me and you played me yo chuck They say you're too black, man I think I'm too black Mom, do you think I'm too black? I think I'm too black I think I'm too black I think I'm too black I black, I black, I black, I black Black Stacy, they call me Black Stacy. I never got to be myself, cause to myself I always was. Black Stacy, and polka dots and paisley. A double goose and ballet shoes, you thought it wouldn't phase me. I was Black Stacy, the preachers I'm from Haiti. Who rhymed a lot and always got the dancers at the party. I was Black Stacy, you thought it wouldn't phase me, but it did. Cause I was just a kid. I used to use bleach and cream No Madam CJ Walker walked into my dreams I dreamt of being white and complimented by you But the only shiny black thing that you liked was my shoes Now I apologize for bottling up All the little things you said that warped my head and my gut Even though I always told you not to brag about the fact that your great-grandmother was raped by her slave master yeah, I became militant too, so it was clear on every level I was blacker than you. I turned you on to Malcolm X and Asada Shakur in the three-coated elephant goose with the fur. Had the high top fade with the step on the side. Had the two-finger ring rag top on the ride. Had the sheepskin named Melly Sue Kango as it was Roscoe Chicken and Wapo. Black Stacy, they call me Black Stacy. I never got to be myself, cause to myself I always was. For you, all your baller players got some insecurities too that you could cover up, bling it up, cash and enter, ching it up. Hope no one will bring it up, lock it down and string it up. Or you could share your essence with us, cause everything about you couldn't be rugged and rough. And even though you told a Glock and you're hot in the street, if you dare to share your heart, will not I head to its beat. 
and you should do that if nothing else to prove that a player like you can keep it honest and true don't mean to call your bluff a mother but that's what i do you got a platinum chain of son i'm probably talking to you and you can call your gang and posse and the rest of your crew and while you're at it get them addicts and the indigent too i plan to have a whole army by the time that i'm through to load they guns with songs they haven't sung like black stacy they call me black stacy i never